Eric, I want to talk to you about tidal forces, mostly because when I bring up the subject, you probably think about ocean tides. And the thing is, there's so much other stuff that tidal forces do and, and that are really cool. The first thing I thought of was that would make a really cool band name. Tidal forces? Oh, yeah. wow. But yes, I, I do think of uh, high and low tide. What, do, what would you think their hit single would be, Tidal Forces? Shoreline deeper than my soul. Yeah, all right, that, that sounds like a good one. Tidal Forces sounds like a metal band to me, I don't know. That's just what I want to tell you about. All the stuff the Tidal Forces can do that's other than high and low tide. Got it. So let's get started with the basics about what is a Tidal Force. Uh, it's the phenomena where some object stretches when affected by the gravitational force of another object. So when in the Earth-Moon system, for example, if we assume the gravity from the Earth average, averages out to a single point, then the closer part of the Moon feels a larger force of gravity than the further part. And that's just because the closer you are to an object, the more gravitational force you feel from it. closer the Moon is, the more it pulls. Yeah, the closer side of the Moon is pulled more than the further side. Gotcha. So for example, you feel a larger downward force from the Earth at sea level than if someone were to be at the top of Mount Everest. Okay. So tidal forces affect everything that exists in three three dimensions. And last time I checked, that's pretty much everything. This sounds like advanced gravity. It's it's more than like high school physics would tell you, but it's not general relativity. I don't. I don't believe it's all the way to general relativity just yet. Okay. So it's somewhere in the middle. Specific relativity. So you, for example, feel a tidal force from the Earth because your legs are closer to the center of the Earth than your head, but it's not exactly a big enough difference for you to notice. Like, I mean, do you feel yourself being pulled down or more on your legs? No, uh, I don't think I'd feel a difference if I were doing a headstand either. This thing really only affects celestial bodies like moons. Hey, you call me fat? Oh no, not you. <laughs> Called the moon fat. One of the neat things you've probably heard of is some planet being tidally locked with something like a star. Yes. Do you remember the context that you heard it? No, but that sounds very familiar, and I know I've heard it at some point. Kind of like how our moon is tidally locked with us, so we can only see one side of it. That comes about because the Earth turns the moon from a perfect sphere that it wants to be into an oval because one side of the moon feels a stronger gravitational force, so it's a little elongated oh. along the direction of the Earth. And that has to do because of how big it is and the difference between the closest and furthest point of the moon. Yeah, the, the closer point is several thousand, I assume, kilometers for, uh, closer than the other one. So it's trying to turn it into like a moon pancake, maybe more of an egg. Yeah, uh, I, I'd agree with that. Okay, so now we have a slightly oval-shaped moon. And if it were to spin, then the part that's deformed towards the Earth now moves away. And the gravity from the Earth wants to pull it back. So in a way, it's slowing its rotation simply because there's a gravitational force that exists that's significant. There's significant tidal forces and there's spin going on. The first thing that makes me think of is an oscillator. There are modes of oscillation. The one with the moon, I think, is a one-to-one -one where we only see one side of it. But there are other modes, like Mercury. It's tidally locked to the sun, but it, it makes, I think, three revolutions every two days or something? Two Mercury days? Is Mercury in Gatorade again? <laughs> it's, it's in Gatorade. 
So eventually, after millions of years, you get a moon that used to spin, but now is stuck facing the Earth because tidal forces and stuff. No, that makes sense. And this happens with pretty much every object that's orbiting too closely to another much larger object. Does that happen to satellites as well? Or are they too small? To satellites? Uh, I think the distance between the closer and further end would be too small for the tidal forces to actually take effect. Okay. I know a satellite's bigger than me, so, like, I had to ask. Just like how the Earth pulls on the moon, the moon pulls back, so we're actually affected by tidal forces as well. And it turns out the days are getting longer. But don't be too worried, the the moon only adds about 2.3 milliseconds to the day every century, so not really significant. We're gonna have to reset those atomic clocks. One of the cool things about this is that there there's this thing called the Roche, or Roche limit, uh, which basically says that if a moon orbits too closely to its planet, then it just gets ripped apart. That sounds terrible. Yeah, it's, it's, it's well, maybe for the moon, for the planet, it's, you know, same old, same old. If that happened to our moon, would we lose high and low tide? I think so. Or, um, you know, the bits of moon that's just scattered about in, in orbit, it might create a high and low tide every so often. That would be very strange to look at. Mm-hmm. That would look very dystopian. So anyway, this is how planets get rings. Uh, it's just moons that get too close and now... They, they get ripped apart and it turns into a moon graveyard that I only I can only assume is haunted. It has to be. That explains why why Saturn has so many, but Jupiter Jupiter has more moons though, right? Yeah, it does. And none of them have gotten close enough to into like their own mini rings. Well, Jupiter does have rings, or it has a ring, I think. I just knew it had the giant red spot. Oh, I didn't know it had rings too. It's, it's not as visible as Saturn, so we just kind of ignore it when we make pictures of it as kids, I guess. Uh, I think there's almost a, fa a science to forming these rings because you need specific moons in uh, good places to actually you know, keep the rings in check. I think they're called like shepherd moons because they shepherd the, the rings to keep them um, sort of confined. Pretty much all the gas giants have rings, but Saturn's is most prominent. And here's a video of one of Saturn's closer moons. Oh boy, it's the best kind of content. Supplemental content. <laughs> yeah, I'll be posting this on our Twitter, so uh, be sure to follow us at More Abstract. So, I'm watching that one on the right. Is the rotation of the moon affecting the ring? I, I don't think it's the rotation of the moon. I think it's just its presence, its gravitational presence that, that's affecting it. But what I wanted to note here is within the ring, inside the ring, the moon that's closer to it is very oval-shaped. That's because of the gra gravity of Saturn itself. This is, I believe, it's within the Roche limit. So in the next, you know, several million years or however long it takes, this thing is going to be ripped apart and turned into a ring as well. It kind of looks like a short grain of rice. It does. And you can see it co compared with the moon outside of the ring further away. It's less oval-shaped. There's a grain of short rice, and there's um, an Easter egg. So that's rigid objects. But in principle, things like stars could also be ripped apart in the same way. That's where you'd need something like a black hole, where if a star gets too close, then it'll be ripped apart in the same way as, you know, a, a planet's moon would. And here's a video of it. Oh, okay. 
And what this shows is uh, in, in the presence of a black hole, if a star were to just whiz on by within the Roche limit, here's the pattern at which it, uh, by which it gets ripped apart. Oh, okay. This reminds me of something. I can't, like, put my finger on what it reminds me of. Would it be an accretion disk? No. I'm guessing that's much more accurate than what I'm thinking. Well, maybe. I'm not sure. Maybe yours is accurate as well. But that's basically how an accretion disk forms. Stars get too close, close to the Roche limit of a black hole, and then they get, you know, unstarred. Unstarred. I like how you get to see it in two planes. It kind of reminds me of watching things, like trying to blend in a blender that is crazy how it gets ripped apart though yeah and it definitely takes several revolutions before it actually dissociates from it or the gases become all spread out and all like in in the in its first pass you know it, it still mostly looks star-like but just a little perturbed it kind of like grows a tail and then it it turns into a giant snake and then it starts like ripping to pieces yeah so that's pretty cool and I just wanted to spend some time talking about tidal forces, just because it's more than just the tides coming in and out. It's gravitational forces that can be pretty powerful in the right context. Yeah, in that context of a star in a black hole, I'm thinking a lot more than just, oh yeah, high and low tide. But like seeing the progression from, oh yeah, this is what the moon does, to this is what a star does to the moon, to this is what a black hole does to a star makes a lot of sense maybe that star just felt really high tide we just got to get higher tide and that'll happen to us well if you like this episode please consider subscribing we have a twitter so be sure to follow us uh at more abstract for the videos i talked about and you can find more episodes wherever you get podcasts